Family, welcome to the concluding message in our dynamic series, Breaking Barriers. Today, the final subject, Doing Beyond. I want to talk about getting to work. We spoke in the first two messages about thinking and speaking, while the third stage is doing. And the goal is to break barriers. Now listen, before we get started, I need everyone that's watching, whatever time you're watching, to get your notes because I want you to follow me using your notes. Simply follow the link in the description box, pull up your notes, and let's break open the revelation of God's Word. Do you remember me saying at the very first or at the outset, the very first message, I spoke about the fact that we're living in unprecedented times. There's great technological advancements around us. The way we're consuming food, the way we're consuming music, our desires for space exploration, how we transport ourselves, the world is changing. There's such acceleration both in time and in inventions and innovation. Social media is changing the way we communicate. Uh, our smartphones, the way that we do what we do, Everything is rapidly changing. And what I began by saying is, I'm inviting the body of Christ to the innovation party. But rather than inviting us, I want to say this. I want us to be hosting the party. Because with the God that we serve, living within us, a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above what we ask or think, according to the power that is resident within us, with that God on the inside, we should be leading the charge, armed with the mind of Christ, with the wisdom, the knowledge, and the revelation of God. We should be 10 times better in every sense of the word. But I began by talking to you about the power of thinking beyond. Do you remember John chapter 1? It's an expose on the power of thinking, giving, giving us an idea of what God was doing eternally. It goes like this. In the beginning was the word. Now that's translated logos. And what is logos? Well, logos is the thought as it exists in the mind of the thinker. So in the beginning was thought. That thought was with the thinker who is God. And the thinker, that's God, he was his thought. The same was in the beginning with God. What was God doing? He was thinking. He was ruminating. And in that thought was life. And that thought was the light of all men. And that is the thought that manifested and became flesh. And now we have the person of Jesus Christ. You know, I could describe Jesus like this. Jesus is who God was thinking about eternally before he created Adam, before Adam sinned, before Adam fell. God was thinking about Jesus. And so that thought became flesh and dwelt among us. And what do you think we beheld? The glory as of the only watch begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I told you the importance of thinking. If God thinks, we should be thinkers as well. And I told you that it's important for us to talk about God thoughts. Because if God is in us, we should be thinking like God. Remember, if God is logos, that means everything begins with thought. The mind is the is the seedbed of all life. And once we get that thought right, it produces life. You see, life is really at the core of thinking. And thinkers are leaders. And leaders are those who are thinking. And where there's thought, 
There will be life on different levels. And finally, that thought, when it comes out, it becomes light. It penetrates the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome, comprehend or seize upon the light. Then I told you about having great thoughts. I believe that every Christian should possess great thinking. Every Christian should have a great mind. Well, how do I know that? Philippians 2 and verse 5, we should let, allow this mind to be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we have the mind of Christ. Every Christian should have great thoughts. We shouldn't be mediocre in our thoughts. Remember the quote I gave you, it's better to choke on greatness than it is to spend all of your life chewing on mediocrity. Why spend your time on insignificant, mediocre, average matters? Why not at least make an effort, strive for greatness? So Christians should have a mind that says, I think exceeding thoughts. I take all the boundaries off. I think abundant thoughts. I remove all the limitations of my thinking and I think thoughts that are above only. I think the same thoughts as the God who lives within us. And if we can do that, in the first stage of breaking barriers, God will move us to what I'm calling grandiose thoughts. This is really the goal, I believe, of Christianity. You see, my understanding of Christianity is a little different than others. I don't believe that God has redeemed us, sent His, His Son in the person of Jesus Christ to suffer, to die, to rise again, so that I can attend a service on Sunday, Sunday after Sunday. I don't believe that's in the mind of God. I believe that the goal of God is to get believers to a place where they begin imagining, where they move to innovation and they move to the ideal. You see, imagining is where we can begin to think of the world how it can be. We start thinking, what's God thinking about this world? What's his desire for this world? And from imagination, God moves us to innovation. He then begins to give us the mechanisms for how the world should be. And all of a sudden, those imaginations, which are not just relegated to little children, but all of us should be reimagining our lives, reimagining our world, reimagining relationships, reimagining nations, government, education, entertainment, athletics, you name it, economics. We should be reimagining the world. That is the life of a Christian. And then from imagination comes innovation. God begins to give us the tools. And from innovation, when we put that into practice, God then gives us the ideal, how the world should be. I'm going to remind you again what the Bible teaches. The whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as waters cover the sea. Isaiah chapter number 11, Psalm 72, Habakkuk 2, and verse 14, God wants to fill the earth with the light of his glory, but he needs people who are imaginative, who are innovative dreamers, who are thinking on the level that he's thinking. Now, once we start thinking right, once the mind is in place, once we get rid of the small thinking, the average thinking, the mediocre thinking, now comes the speech. You see, the mind is connected to the mouth. In fact, we actually think in a dimension called our soul, where there's a combination of the heart, appetites and desires, working with mind, which is cognitive. And out of the abundance of the heart, as we're thinking, 
the mouth then begins to speak. And now we get to a place where we're speaking a different language. This is really the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In the old church, we call the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And really the purpose of getting the Holy Ghost, it's to train the tongue. You see, our tongue gets us in trouble. It's a small member, but it can set the world on fire. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he becomes a bit and a bridle in the mouth. He sets a watch before my mouth. He guards the doors to my lips and he makes sure that he teaches me how to speak. You see, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is so much concerned with me speaking gibberish and all, all this stuff that people can't understand. I, I think he does that, yes, but I also believe that he's very concerned with when I speak language that's intelligible. He wants me to speak the way God speaks. I told you last week that God is introduced in the Bible as a speaking God, Genesis chapter one. Our Father is a speaking God. In fact, that which we read as Christians, we call it the Bible or the Word of God. Our God speaks. And as His children, sons and daughters, we must also speak. I think it behooves us to speak like our Father so that people will know from whom we have come. You see, if you've come from a God that speaks a certain way, for you to testify that you're His child, you must speak the same way. That's like saying, you know, my parents are Italian and I was raised in an Italian home, but I speak Hungarian. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. The expectation is that if your parents are Italian, at a minimum, your first language should be Italian or Latin. Well, guess what? At a minimum, our first language should be what God speaks. So I told you that there are three levels to understanding how to speak beyond barriers. Number one, uncommon speech. Remember I told you, Zephaniah, that little prophetic book, chapter three and verse nine, God wants our speech to be clean or pure so that when we speak, people aren't defiled, but they're edified by the words that we speak. Number two, our speech must be clear. It must be understandable. Undefiled language must now become understandable language so that people can practically know what to do with what we have spoken. And lastly, our speech should be captivatingly powerful. It should garner the attention of the listeners and it should elicit a response in them. What shall we do? Said the multitude when Peter spoke by the mouth of the Holy Ghost. What shall we do to be saved? And so people should be responding to how we speak. I also told you the importance of what I'm calling unusual speech. Do you remember Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses. Here are the locales or the locations. Jerusalem, level one. Those closest to you should understand you or you should have a language that reaches them. Then you go to Judea and Samaria, lengthening your speech. Those a little further should understand your language and you understand theirs. And then God takes you to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's limitless speech. Now we're talking to the world. And I believe because today we're a global village and God has allowed time and space to be collapsed by technology and the advancements. We're now speaking to the world and we must speak a global language. Finally, I told you this one. Listen, there's a universality that must come to our speech. Understanding, remember Pilate, putting a sign over Jesus's cross written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Why Hebrew? It's the language of the learnt. This is the language of the messengers, those who carry the message. Why Greek? 
It's the language of the masses. These are those that are left out, the populace. And why Latin? It's the language of the masters or government. We've got to speak on different levels of life if we're going to break barriers. I remind you before we go into today's message, the importance of learning and education. Please do not take it lightly. The more educated we are, the more experience we'll have. The more experience we'll have, the more exposure will be granted and the more we can change our world. Today, let's talk about the final frontier, which is doing. After you've thought about something, after you've spoken that uncommon, unusual, universal language, it's now time to put our hands to the plow and don't look back. Because if you start working and you go back, you and I are not fit for the kingdom of God. You see, doing is the final frontier. We're reminded in the book of James that we should not just be hearers of the word. We shouldn't just come to the church, sit down and listen, or come to the congregation rather, sit down and just listen. But we should listen with a mind to get up and to do some things. The fruit of God is found in doing. It's our actions that testify to the fruit. You see, I think thinking is the seed, and speaking is the tree with the branches, but doing is the fruit. And Jesus reminds us that I've called you and I've chosen you. I'm sending you out into the world that you might bear fruit and your fruit shall remain. God has called us to be doers. Let me talk to you about three ways that we can do some things. This is John chapter one, verse 14. The word that was with God, that thought, that was light and life, that word became flesh and began to do some things. And I'm inspiring somebody to, or rather I want to inspire someone to be a doer of what God has placed in your spirit. Number one, I want us to think about doing something that is glorious. Don't think about doing anything small, especially if you're going to do it for God or in His name. Number one, what we do must be light. What do I mean by that? Our actions, our deeds, they should light up the world. They should bring revelation of who God is. They should tear into the present darkness and show people how the world should operate. Because remember, ye are the light of the world. We're a city that is set upon a hill. And as long as we are in the world, we through Jesus Christ, we're the light of the world. Number two, what we do should promote life. In other words, as it's lighting up the world, it should also lift up the world. The works of the believer should edify the world. We should be the ones building up the world. The idea of development should come out of the kingdom of God. Whatever level of development we're talking about, it doesn't matter what we're developing. We are the ones who should be leading the charge in lifting up the world. This is important. Jesus reminds us that he is the resurrection and he is the life. If anyone believes in him, even if they were dead, that word dead means that they're down, they're buried, yet shall they be lifted up or they shall live. That's the principle that God wants us to do our works by. Whatever we're doing, it should be done to light the world and to lift the world. And number three, this is my favorite. Whatever we do, it should be done to loose or liberate the world. You see, our works, for them to be glorious, people should be freed from the things that entangle them. The alcoholism, 
the drugs, the illicit behavior, all of the things that the enemy has tried to hold people and enslave them. Our job through our works is to liberate them. Do you know that the reason why we're anointed is to be liberators? God anoints us to open prison doors. That means in your anointing, there is a key that opens the doors to the bondages that people find themselves in. He's anointed us to set at liberty the captives. That means he's given us the ability to loose those that Satan, through their own choices, is trying to bind. So our works should be liberating. There's a gentleman named James Cone. James writes what's called liberation theology, uh, mostly focused on the African-American experience. But I believe at the core of liberation theology is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're here to loose the bound. Didn't God say that whatever you bind shall be bound and whatever you loose shall be loosed? So now if our works are going to be glorious, whatever you do in life, remember these three things. It should light the world and give people direction. It should not have people walking around in darkness. It should bring life or lift up the world, and it should loose or liberate the world. That's the first thing. Whatever we're going to do for God in this era, it's going to be glorious. Now, number two, our work should also be filled with grace. In other words, we are purveyors or we're we're the continuity of the grace that began with Jesus Christ. In John 1, verse 14, he was filled with grace and with truth. Well, we are the continuity of that grace, that unmerited grace of God should be demonstrated in what we do. Number one, what we do should be filled with truth. In other words, our deeds should defeat falsehood. There should be a truth to what we're doing. People should be able to see the way things ought to be done. I think Stephen Cole would call this principle-centered living, but I think what God would call it is being the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. In other words, once you see the way, once you acknowledge the truth, you will then be close to the life and have access to the Father. What we do should be done in truth. This is very, very important. Number two, what we do should bring a sense of triumph. We should be defeating the devil through every single act. Every deed should bring the devil in subjection. Every deed that we do should defeat the power of death. In other words, our actions should engender life. When people are around us, our works should defeat the enemy. That's what Jesus did, you know. Everywhere he went, he made sure that demons were cast out of people. Devils began screaming out, have you come to torment us before the time? Can I tell you this? Whatever environment you move in, the enemy of our soul, spiritual wickedness, demonic spirits, they should begin to cry out because of your presence, because they know that whatever you do, it's going to destroy the works of the enemy. Do you know one of the reasons why Jesus was manifested? It is clear in the, in the epistle of 1 John, for this reason was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Our work should defeat sin, should defeat the devil, and should defeat death. That's why God causes us to triumph in everything we do, leaving the savor of the knowledge of who he is and who we are in every place. That's when our works are filled with grace. 
And I want you to know that what this world needs today is more of the grace of God. I have discovered on my journey that the world does not need the level of judgment that sometimes we're guilty of walking in, always judging this, judging that, sending people to hell, consigning them to this. The world is not in need of that. In fact, now is not the time for judgment. For God did not send his son into the world, listen, to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now is the time for grace. Now is the time for mercy. Now is the time for truth. Now is the time to triumph over death and over the devil. Listen, there are far too many people who are outside of the borders or the, the boundaries of the kingdom of God for us to be consigning people to hell. I'm a believer in this. And I was having a conversation recently with some saints. I believe that God wins in the end. And I'm a numbers guy. I believe that more people will be in heaven than in hell. That's just my conviction because God wins in the end. But listen, for God to win, our works must be filled with grace. Whatever we're doing, doesn't matter what it is, construction, teaching, nursing, healthcare, doesn't matter where you find yourself on the athletic field, let your works be filled with grace so that men may know the knowledge of God. And then finally, this one is my favorite. I want to encourage someone right now. Whatever we do, I want you to do something great. In fact, go to the chat with me right now and write these words, I am great. Now, the reason why I wanted you to say it like that is because as you think about yourself, what comes out of you will follow suit. Whatever you think about yourself, your works will be the continuity of that. Remember, I am am great. I didn't make that up. That's what God says. He says that about us. So then if we're great, the expectation is that whatever we do, we're going to do something great. Let me give you a scripture to meditate on, to ruminate, to contemplate, to cogitate about. Listen, it's actually Psalm 48. Listen, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. Think about that. It begins by talking about how great God is, how greatly he is to be praised, how wonderful his habitation is. And whatever you think Mount Zion is, I tend to think that it's an Old Testament imagery of the, the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. The whole earth, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. Now listen to this. The reason why this is important is number one, God is too big for us to do something that's small. Great is the Lord. Remember that. Whatever you're going to do, always remember that God is too big for me to do something small. God is too great for me to do something mediocre. Whatever I do must be the reflection of how great God is. Number two, beauty. Watch this. God is too glorious for you and I to do something ugly. The joy of the whole earth beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. God is the, he is the epitome of beauty. And whatever we do, that's why I believe that whatever we do, how we look, what we drive, our homes, our sanctuaries, our offices, whatever it is, our world should be the epitome of beauty because God is the epitome of beauty. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to style hair, well, do it beautifully. doesn't matter. You're going to prepare a meal as a chef. Put it on the plate with majesty and beauty because 
God is too glorious for us ever to do something that is ugly or repugnant. Remember that God is big, God is beautiful, but watch this, bold. I want you to be bold, why? Because God is too grand for us to do something average. He's just too great for us to find ourselves doing something average and saying, this is what God looks like. I'm a servant of God. This is what working for God looks like. I've often struggled sometimes with how ministries portrayed, whether in the local assemblies, you know, volunteers doing this and helping out. I've always struggled with that because my position is God is too big. He's too beautiful. And if he is that, we should be bold enough to do something grand, something glorious, and something great for God. Whatever you're going to do, and I think this is the moment for doers. This is not the moment for just talkers. We need speech, yes, and we need thought, yes, but we need to finish the equation by doing. Whatever you're going to do, make sure that it's great. Make sure that it is a reflection of the greatness, the bigness of the God that we serve. That's what I think the lesson is. God's greatness must be in all that we do. As great as God is, he must be seen in our works. Now listen, as we conclude this series, let me go back up to the top and let me remind you of the importance of doing. Number one, if you're gonna do something, make sure that you're doing something that's glorious. What does that mean? Make sure that whatever you do, it continues the light of Jesus Christ. It's illuminating the world. It's shining light in dark areas, giving people a sense of direction so that the blind are no longer leading the blind because both will fall into a ditch. Make sure that whatever you're doing, it's producing life. What does that mean, Pastor? It's lifting people. It's encouraging people. The Bible is not an anvil to beat people down with. The Bible is actually what it is. It's a life-giving mechanism to breathe life into those who are on their last leg. Whatever we do, it should lift the world. And finally, whatever we're going to do under this umbrella of doing something glorious, it should liberate the world. When we are done on our watch, there should be none bound. I want you to make that declaration. On our watch, there should be none bound because we're here to open prison doors to set the captives at liberty, to proclaim the acceptable year of our God. Whatever we do, it looses the world. And then whatever we do, it's a conveyor of God's grace. It comes with truth and it destroys falsehood. It triumphs over death and over the wicked one, the devil. And finally, watch this. Whatever we're going to do for God, it's great. Because we unapologetically declare that we serve a great God who is greatly to be praised and he is to be praised in the city of our God, in the whole earth, great is the Lord. And so whatever we do, we recognize that it's on the scale that God is on. He's too big for us to do something small. He's too beautiful for us to do something ugly. And therefore what we do, it should be bold enough and grand enough to give God the glory. And when we start doing on this level, every barrier is going to break. That's what I sense. I sense that historic barriers that have been placed before the church, limitations, parameters that God did not set for us, they're going to break 
as you're listening to these messages and play them over again. The power of thinking beyond, the power of speaking beyond, the power of doing beyond. As you listen to these messages and they begin to percolate in your spirit, you're going to see all the barriers, all the limitations that people have placed on us through demonic tyranny. Those barriers are going to break in the name of Jesus. I feel like God is speaking to someone, someone who he's lengthening your cords as he's strengthening your stakes. He's commanding the expansion of your borders and he's taking you to new environments. He's giving you a boldness to do what you've never done before because you're imagining and he's giving you innovation to take you to the ideal. You're dreaming and he's going to exceed what you're asking or what you are thinking. And you're going to know that it's been done by the power of God that resides within you. And so my blessing for the body of Christ, the global realm of family and all who join us, all who support us, all who watch us, is that every barrier will be broken, every limitation removed, and the earth will finally become, at least in our thinking, the earth will be the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now the blessing of God, the blessing of God that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow, that blessing be unleashed over our lives. I pray that your feet will be turned to the testimony of God and you will find the path of the just. It is a shining light, shining brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. You cannot be stopped. We can never be defeated in Jesus' name. I want you to know that I love you. I'm praying for you in your successes and even when you fail, I'm undergirding you. I believe in you and I ask you to believe in me and together we are going to make it in Jesus' name. Listen, I'll see you next time with a brand new message series and we're going to continue breaking this bread of life until Jesus comes. I'll see you again in Jesus' name. Amen.